This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 19th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. What makes trauma? How has the trauma that has visited the people of Afghanistan for nearly 40 years helped mire the country in dysfunction? Eric Gobner, a Cato Institute visiting scholar, is author of the new paper, War State, Trauma State, Why Afghanistan Remains Stuck in Conflict. This is the second part of our interview. The U.S. mission in Afghanistan was to take out the Taliban, and then it gets fuzzy, for me at least. And uh, one of the goals was eventually to bring some democratic processes to the country. Um, but if I read what you write, and if you are correct, then that is impossible. That is not something that democracy, you argue, is ill-suited to a country that is as dysfunctional as Afghanistan has been for 40 years. Correct. Democracy, by definition, involves an active, participative uh, electorate, and it also involves a responsive government, responsive to the, the wishes of its constituents. So they must be able to provide goods and services, be seen as adding value. And in Afghanistan, you have 40 years of the highest levels of trauma, not just war, but torture, rape, natural disasters, 40 years, so two complete generations have endured that. There is not a coherent Afghan identity 40 years later. It is a fracturing Afghans are shells of who they were 40 years prior. And just the idea of a coherent Afghan identity, you say, you say is just very wrongheaded. Correct. I mean, there was already problems with ethnic variation uh, between the Pashtuns, the Tajiks, the Uzbeks, Hazarans, etc. But this is psychological and it's partly physical. If you endure enough trauma and severe enough trauma, you physically become a different person. Your brain is physically changed. You become less, um, less able to reason, less able to focus and to pay attention. You have motivational deficits. And they actually have noted over time a decrease in IQ from those or for those who have been traumatized. So that person, all things being equal, who's been traumatized for 40 years is much less capable than they were absent all of that trauma. Okay. So why did the U.S. persist? I think initially the United States had no idea that this sort of psychological, physical piece was taking place with Afghans. I remember during our training and education, which was quite extensive, um, we would periodically ask about what are the effects of PTSD because we'd obviously learned a lot about Vietnam and our own warfighters. And we were told, and we also read um, educational material that suggested that the Afghans are an incredibly resilient people because of religion, family structure, and uh, for the Pashtuns that I worked with, uh, Pashtun Wali, which is kind of their unwritten honor code. And so those three dimensions were supposed to make them more resilient than the average person, which may be true, but you can't be resilient enough to have gone through those 40 years. And the connections that they have within their uh, localized communities are presumably very strong. Or throughout the country, the connection to Kabul is what? Is it non-existent? Is it limited? Completely non-existent. And I would tell you that even within the village, so my small uh, province that I operated in had about 300,000 human beings divided into about 1,500 villages. And I think on average, that means a village had approximately 350 people. We go out to one village uh, trying to make them, uh, trying to help them connect with their government. We work with the government, work with the village elders, and get them to agree to let us pay for the rebuilding of their very basic and modest mosque. The elder we're talking to 
realizes he has to give his mobile number out to the government and to one of my young people who was um, spearheading that project. And he developed an elaborate authentication system because he was afraid somebody in his village who he couldn't identify, had no idea who it might be, would pick up his phone, understand it was the Americans or the Afghan government on the other line, and then somehow he would be reported to the Taliban. So here's the village elder in his own village that he's lived in all his life, not being able to trust the couple hundred other people that he spent all his life with. But he doesn't know who it is. He just has a fear that somebody will rat him out. And um, the United States intervention made a lot of these relationships worse within villages? I don't know about worse. It's just we found out we parachuted into an incredibly dysfunctional system. I think we believed that we needed to get culturally aware, historically aware, uh, religiously aware, language uh, proficiency, thinking that the Afghans had their own sort of coherence internally. And it turns out they don't have their own coherence internally. So you you point to a lot of data in this paper about sort of measures of dysfunction and measures of things that contribute to trauma. That's uh, rape, uh, very extremely low incomes, um, killings. So the U.S. can't do anything about that, it appears, based upon our 16-plus years uh, at war there. Is there anything that can be done to lower the temperature uh, in that country to at least bring some breathing room for some sort of <laughs> relaxation? I guess, I guess it's, a, it's a weird way to say it, but it's uh, just reducing the amount of trauma that is, that is uh, experienced in the near term. And is the military suited to do that? Definitely the military is not the right tool uh, for this. And I'm saying this as a proud uh, retired military warfighter. As an American, from a policy perspective, there is no reasonable expectation we can have to know what might work. Might something work? Yes. To have any idea, to have any confidence that we know what that is, is zero. And so from an American policy perspective, the wisest course of action we can do is to remove our military footprint from the country to the extent that we don't jeopardize our own uh, safety and security here in the United States. But there's little to suggest that that's a primary terrorist location right now. As it relates to Afghans, the mental health literature is clear, which is health after traumatization comes from many things, not the least of which is professional care, but the second part is time. Time does more or less heal all wounds. And so they need a time, extensive time period, where there's uh, an absence of trauma. And it's very difficult to estimate how you get that absence of trauma. Is it the strongest gun compels everybody to follow along and they get peace that way? Or is there some, you know, more American um, sympathetic way that it's going to happen? I tend to think it's going to be the strongest gun. Somebody will compel them, much like the Taliban had in the mid-90s. And that's how peace will slowly and painfully come about. So it sounds like you're talking about letting the Taliban have Afghanistan. At some level, that's an interesting point. I don't know if that's exactly what I'm saying, but maybe that is what I'm saying. Um, There's a number of insurgent groups. There's the Taliban, who's certainly the strongest and the most unified, but there's others like Haqqani, uh, Hekmatyar, and others. And then the other part I would say is right now we're supporting a government that Transparency International ranks as the 176th most corrupt countries out of 180. So there's only four countries in the world system that are estimated to be more corrupt than Afghanistan. 
And then uh, Freedom House gives them their worst rating. Afghans are labeled as not free, which is the same rating Afghans had in 2001 before we invaded. So we're supporting a government that the very Afghans who are under that government should have every right and reason to be angry with and to have grievances against. So what do you hope a trauma index, as you uh, lay out in your paper, will help the not just the U.S. military, but policymakers who are outside the, the military understand about uh, taking the U.S. to war? Right. So, so two primary beneficiaries. The first are the NGOs where they can estimate the amount of psychological trauma that populations have gone through, and that will help them in sort of their helping healing uh, arenas. And then from a U.S. policy perspective, it should give us great pause before we go and get involved in any additional civil wars, because the more traumatized the population is before that war starts or before we enter that war, the less likely our efforts will be to affect any kind of enduring change. Eric Gopner is author of War State, Trauma State, Why Afghanistan Remains Stuck in Conflict, available today at Cato.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.